This is Plant-Based Briefing, Researcher Spotlight, Dr. Lorna Harries, from the Society for Humane Science at forhumanescience.org. And I'm Marian Erickson, host of this curated content plant-based podcast, where I narrate a variety of articles on plant-based, compassionate, and eco-friendly living with permission in about 10 minutes or less every weekday. And today's article is in honor of World Day for Animals in Laboratories, which was yesterday, Sunday, April 24th. And it's by the Society for Humane Science, which is a Canadian nonprofit working to promote better science without animals. Their mission is to build an ethical culture of science that respects animal life by promoting the reduction and replacement of animals in teaching, research, and testing. So now let's get to today's plant-based briefing. Researcher Spotlight, Dr. Lorna Harries, by the Society for Humane Science at forhumanescience.org. Lorna Harries is Professor of Molecular Genetics at the University of Exeter College of Medicine and Health. She gained her Ph.D. in genetics from University College London in November 1994 and now leads the RNA-mediated disease mechanisms group at the University of Exeter College of Medicine and Health. Her group has interests in alternative messenger RNA processing, non-coding RNA, and epigenetic gene regulation in the context of aging and chronic disease. Some of Dr. Harry's work involves using non-animal methods to study diabetes, and her team have made some huge inroads into our understanding of type 2 diabetes. Dr. Harry's and her team have developed a new scientific methodology using human pancreatic beta cell lines, which have been grown in the laboratory without the use of any animals. This work was funded in part by Animal Free Research UK, and you can visit their website to see a video of Dr. Harry's and her research team member, Dr. Nicole Jeffrey, explain their groundbreaking research. Dr. Harry's took some time out of her busy schedule to answer a few questions from our executive director, Dr. Elizabeth Ormandy. Elizabeth Ormandy, can you tell me about your areas of research? Am I right that you're an expert in diabetes research? Lorna Harry's, My team works on human aging and age-relating diseases. We research the basic molecular mechanisms that underpin the age-related deterioration in cell, tissue, and organ function. As such, we aren't really limited to any one disease, but at the moment we are working mainly on diabetes and on eye and lung disease. Our work focuses at many levels, from genes to cells to human populations. Elizabeth, my understanding is that while animal models are still valued by the research community— The standard animal models aren't great when it comes to developing new treatments for diabetes, is that right? Can you tell me why? Lorna, there are a number of reasons why humans are a better model system for our work. I'm a molecular geneticist interested in the factors that turn our genes on and off. Many of the regions of the genome that control this are not conserved between species, which means that the sequences that control this are different between humans and other animals. In particular, we work on a process called alternative splicing, which is how a single gene can make multiple things, which it can vary in response to the needs of the cells and organs. Only about 30% of splice products are conserved between man and mouse. In the specific case of diabetes, apart from the differences at the genetic level, there are real anatomical differences in how the cells in the pancreas that make insulin are arranged between man and mouse. In the case of aging, there are obvious problems in researching aging processes in an organism that lives up to 100 years in one that only lives to a maximum of four years. Elizabeth, your own work has focused on non-animal methods and techniques that use human cells and tissues. Can you tell me more about what human-based methods you use and how they work? 
What motivates you to take this approach to your research, and how are things going? Lorna, we believe in using human systems to study human diseases. My reasoning for this is actually not primarily ethical. It's because it is better science. There are some occasions where doing research entirely in humans is very difficult, but where we can, then these models are usually a closer fit. We employ a variety of approaches. Firstly, when we're working with human cells, we use entirely human reagents. This can be difficult and often very time-consuming, but when we get it right, it mirrors human physiology much better. Molecular work is actually fairly easy to do in an animal-free manner because we're working with human sequences, and it's no more difficult to work with human sequences than with sequences from animals. When we want to look at systemic effects, i.e. whole-body effects, we do this by the use of human populations or rare diseases. For example, if we suspect that a gene is involved with a particular disorder, Rather than knocking it out in an animal model, we can look at rare human diseases where the gene is inactive for clues as to what it might do. We can also look at how it functions in populations. In this case, we measure gene activity at baseline in healthy people and look to see what happens to people with high or low levels down the line. This can be quite a powerful tool. Elizabeth, are there any barriers you faced in the development and use of non-animal approaches? You're based in the UK. Do you think those barriers are universal or specific to the UK? Lorna, the big barrier that I see at the moment is taking observations from cells and genes and translating them into whole animals. There are ways we can do this, but there's still a gap between how we can assess genes and cells in a dish and how they behave in a whole system if we don't want to use an animal model. This is pretty universal, I think. The field is evolving, however, and we are starting to see new tools arrive, such as machine learning and computational biology, to predict the complex behavior of systems, ever more elegant in vitro approaches such as organ-on-a-chip that allow us to study the interaction of cells of different types. There's still work to do here, but I think the next decade is going to be interesting. Elizabeth, what message do you have for talented young students who are interested in pursuing biomedical science in their career? Do you think they can avoid using animals in their training and research and still have a successful career? Lorna, absolutely. I think attitudes are starting to change. I think the best way we can showcase this is to actually do it and demonstrate that it's possible to do excellent science without animals. My advice for new researchers is to be creative and seek out the support and mentorship of people who can help you do that. Interested readers can get more details about Dr. Harry's work in a recent published paper in the journal Cell and Bioscience, linked here. You just listened to Researcher Spotlight Dr. Lorna Harries from the Society for Humane Science at forhumanescience.org. And I'm your host, Marian Erickson, and I've got some other episodes from the Society for Humane Science about animals in education and research and testing. I'll link those in the show notes, but you can also look for episode 5. 86 and 176 specifically. I'll also put a link to a new documentary called The Medical Illusion. You can watch it free online and it speaks to the fact that we're using such old technology using animals in science. And it says, contrary to what the public is being told, we are 60 years away from cures and effective treatments for most cancers, ALS, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's and other major diseases. This poignant film explains why. So you can check that out at evolutionfilms.com, and I'll put a link in the show notes, as I mentioned. So please share this episode with anyone who might benefit, and thanks for listening.